What up, what up, guys? Thank you so much for joining us again. Today, we're going to be talking about the IDES process, Integrated Disability Evaluation System. This is great information if you're going through a medical evaluation board, forced medical retirement, VA, stuff like that. This is what you want to know. So please share this information with your friends. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. What up, what up, guys? Thank you so much for coming back and joining us today with a Common Warrior podcast. With me, always, J-Dub. Say what's up. What's up, everybody? We're here with a very special guest, and she's going to talk us through a very stressful, annoying, just all-around stupid process uh, some people have to go through, especially when they're really broken, really hurt, and the military just doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. But if you would please introduce yourself. Yeah, I am veteran of the Air Force, Courtney Capalda. Um, I got out as a staff sergeant. Where, uh, when did you join? Uh, 2010. And when did you get out? Uh, 2019. Ooh, nine years, huh? Mm-hmm. So where, what was your first duty station? And then what, kind of like, where did you go from there and whatnot? Um, so my first duty station was Davis Mountain, Arizona. <laughs> um, All right. I was there for seven years before getting married to somebody that was in the Navy. And then we went over to um, Langley Air Force Base. He was stationed at Norfolk. Um, yeah. And then I spent two years there before I was med boarded and eventually discharged. What was your job? I was material management slash supply. See you guys, supply we everywhere. Soup, soup, baby. Soup, soup. <laughs> All right. So uh, you went through the whole IDES process, right, which is the med board going through, getting evaluated, and it combines the VA and uh, Air Force rating, correct? Or do I have that backwards? It's the So your med board is your overall medical rating, and then the IDES process integrates you into the VA process. Okay. And how long did that take? Um, I think from the time when it started, I want to say it was like a September, November. So it took about a year for it to Ooh. fully, yeah, for it to fully go through. But that's also, again, because I went ahead and fought my rating. So I did, I even did that part of it. Well, I know a lot of people go through this and I think a lot of people, at least from what I've seen, sometimes get so frustrated and so just like kind of discouraged during the process that they eventually kind of give up and just want to over and done with. So if you please, we would love to hear kind of your experience from start to middle to further middle than finished and back to middle and all that stuff. Cause you know, it never ends when, until you finally kind of get what you want. So please, if you don't mind, we would love to hear your story. So I was, so I went in for a medical appointment, regular medical appointment. Um, at this point I had been a routine probably every month seeing my doctor. And she finally sat me down with a piece of paper and said, Hey, um, I know you're not going to look forward to this, but we're going to go ahead and start the med board process, which really sank, you know, that that's really hurting when I had tried everything that they had given me to try to get better. Um, so filled out the paperwork, which it was just a simple one sheet. Uh, after that, probably about two weeks later, they, sent information to my commander. My commander called me in. We had a meeting and he's like, I just want to let you know that this is happening, which was nice because they don't have to do that from what I remember. I don't know. It might've changed, which hopefully it does. But because I did know the commander, we had a relatively small squadron. 
Um, he, you know, we had that conversation. He was like, yeah, I just want to make sure that you're aware that this is going. And if you need anything, let us know. So we did that. I want to say, honestly, this started in like in November. So it was shortly before the holiday season, which kind of sucked. Um, but after that, I got my Pueblo, which is the person who's your liaison for the whole process. So they can help gather information and all that kind of stuff. So that way you're not having to do it yourself. Um, That's the person that kind of like takes control and gets you, is supposed to give you updates a lot of the way, right? Yeah, they give you updates. Um, my caseworker, because he had been doing it for 15 years, who had a really good reputation of being able to provide advice to anybody that was going through the process. So he was definitely my favorite person during that. Anytime I got a call from him, it was something that was going to be helpful. Or even if he was breaking bad news, he was just really good at it. Um, so we went through. He was he was really good at letting you down. He was. He was. <laughs> he, well, he let me know if I was going to lose my case or not um, and when to fight back. So if it was looking bad, it was he was like, well, just wanna, this is how it's looking so far. But then as I provided him evidence, you know, he was doing the best he could. And I know that's a hard job to do, especially when you're being let go of something that you've literally been living for like nine years. Um, so after that, because it was uh, all med boards don't have to be integrated into the IDES process, it's up to the service. And from my experience, Air Force and um, Marines are more likely to be, I go through the actual IDES process as where Army and Navy are more likely just to go through a straight med board. So the IDES process, um, has you go through the VA CMP exams. So you'll list all your stuff. They'll do the CMP exam for all those. And then by the time you're getting out, you already have your VA rating. So you'll have, you'll know everything. And mine, after discharge, it only took me two months for me to start getting my VA pay. I didn't even have to do anything. So once you're released, they file your paperwork and then you get paid. So, um, I had my CMP exams in January after being notified. And from there, it was just a waiting period of what they were going to do because, you know, they're pro the Air Force is processing all the med board cases. Doesn't matter if you're regular CMP or if for some reason you get regular med board, which is done in um, San Antonio. So they went through all of that. I believe it was May, June timeframe is when they told me, this is what the outcome of it would be. Would you like to appeal? When you do your appeal is when you get to go to San Antonio um, in front of a med board of three professionals, uh, medical professionals that have a say of what's going to happen. But they go over all the records that are submitted. And you, when you go there, you do get a case lawyer that is able to give you, kind of prep you and see what else you might need. Um, I don't think mine was that good. We were There were only two of us there that were going through the appeal process and he didn't seem very helpful. He didn't really, I met with him for honestly 15 minutes and it was the day before my appeal before the board. Um, he just so kind he, of- He just kind of felt like he was processing through. He didn't want to like actually sit down and help. It was, it kind of felt like it was that like, lieutenant the brand new lieutenant out of lawyer school and he yeah. was just doing what he had to do it didn't feel like he actually cared do the so. bare minimum so he can cover his ass and just pretty, get you through pretty much 
and of course, because it's Air Force appointed, it's not your own lawyer that, you know, that kind of gives the Air Force that leg up. Um, so yeah, I did my appeal. I found out that same week, um, even before I left, because I think I showed up on Monday, Tuesday, we had in processing, I met with my lawyer. Wednesday, I had my appeal with the board. And I believe either, I think it was Thursday, I found out that they weren't going to keep me in. And then it was just waiting after that to find out when I was going to be discharged. Um, for that, so I had that what in July. I didn't find out until October, actually October 31st. It was Halloween. We were doing something at the squadron and I got my call from my Pueblo saying, hey, I just want to let you know that you're clear for discharge now. And I was like, oh, um, wow, that, that's kind of, that feels kind of quick. Um, but because I had, obviously when you get more med boarded, you know, you, you can choose to take leave. I saved up all my leave for that entire year. So I was off from November 14th until January 29th when I was discharged. That yeah. is quite a time frame. Oh, yeah. I just kind of hung out at home. I didn't have to do anything. And I had actually found out I was pregnant in October, like the beginning of October. So it was a really good time. It was a bad time, but a good time, if that makes any sense. So, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was about a sense. year. Yeah. So it was about a year. Yeah. <laughs> It was a lot. So what was it like, um, you know, going down to San Antonio and kind of like meeting with the professionals? Because I hear that that board can be super stressful um, just from people that I know who have gone through it. So can you kind of walk us through that? So it was very, very nerve wracking. Um, I have really, really hyper anxiety for situations like that. So I had um, what my doctor and I had called uh, breakdown, body breakdowns. Um, that entire Thursday after I had met with the board, I didn't leave my hotel room. I, I physically just couldn't do anything. If I get too stressed out, that's what my body's response is now. Um, but I've been in counseling and therapy for almost two years now, which has helped a lot with the nervous system uh, to prevent it from crashing. But that was the first time that I had such a bad one to where I couldn't even get out of bed. And because that wasn't the reason for me getting med boarded. It was for my back. Um, that didn't get to play into my um, med board stuff. So. Were you able to finally get that captured with the VA um, when oh, you yeah. did your CMPs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So currently I'm in uh, long-term pain management. So it's not... I've, I've just been able to, I've been lucky enough to avoid medications because all the medications that they had me on before never did anything. They just kind of made me feel worse, which is a typical reaction. Um, so I'm doing a yeah, more holistic sure. approach, which they don't seem to like very well, but I'm just refusing to take medications that don't, that I know never did anything for me. That's because they don't want holistic. That's less money for them. Yeah. They, they want to. <laughs> you know, provide more torture versus anything that would help. But yeah, so at one time I had like four pages of prescriptions that I had been on in a year just to sit there and try to mitigate everything that was going on. And then even while I was in my last year, I was also in uh, counseling as well to help with the process. I had volunteered to go versus them having to tell me to go because it's, it was just a really rough time. Um, so I opted to go to counseling to kind of help 
process through all of this. Well, I mean, I can only imagine, like, you know, just going through medical in general as just by itself, not through med board, not through IDAS, not just going through medical and having to go through processes of like, man, something's wrong. And then they're always, I understand at certain points, like, hey, let's try this before we go to this. But then you get to a point where like, well, guys, look, I've tried this before. I've done this before. I know this doesn't work. Like, can you please like do something else? And then they start to just not believe you and start to push you in a different direction for no reason. Yeah. So when it comes to that, I can only imagine what kind of just loopholes and fucking roadblocks get thrown in front of you on purpose just for the fact that they just want to try to get you pushed through and quick and not actually get answers and help. Especially because a lot of the doctors, so in Arizona, I didn't have, uh, our clinic was too small, so they didn't have long-term options there. So everything that I did was off the installation. It was community care, which which is great because there are doctors that actually have to keep up good certifications and progress themselves as where I don't feel the clinic doctors do. I could be wrong. I'm not one of those doctors. I also think it's probably one of those notions of they're not military, so they're not bound by that, hey, you guys need to try to keep it as cheap as possible with the least amount of interaction as possible so we can save money and and stuff like that. Because, I mean, that's why when it even comes to the VA after you're done, always seek community care if you can because, one, you'll get in soon. If you try to go to the physical VA, you won't get in for months at a time. Yeah. But then you go to community care, you get people that actually like are trying to help you to listen to you, to explore what's going on with you and then, you know, and try to find the answers. The only issue that you still run into is the fact that if they need to do something, they have to request permission from TRICARE in order to do those things. And then you still end up with the possibility of not getting that help. But community care is always the best way to go. I completely agree with that. Even now, um, so I'm in, again, I'm going to physical therapy um, and they had, the the lady kept canceling my appointments and she's at the VA. And I was like, look, like um, you guys keep trying to schedule things. I have work. I can't keep taking off work constantly because you can't fit my hours. I've asked you and let you know that I can only do about, I can do an appointment at three because it's literally like right across the way, which is great but I can't sit there and keep going back and forth all day. I can't have multiple appointments a day. And they, I was like, well, I'd like to, I'd like to go watch community care. And they're like, well, we can't do that. And I was like, why? Because you can't meet my schedule needs. So it's been a fight for that just to get everything. Like I had to throw a huge fit, you know, play into it because I was like, I'm done being treated. Like I can only fit into your schedule when I'm the veteran. I'm the one that's trying to seek care. I'm the one that's actively seeking care when you keep canceling my appointments, but you need to start accommodating me in this matter. And that's been the hard thing because you really have to advocate for yourself. Even through the whole IDA's process, you really have to be your own advocate. You have to let them know if you've went out for community care, if you've done any of that and make sure to get those records because they don't care. That's not up to them. They don't care what happens to you after the fact. It's only daring that they care of making sure that the military gets what they want from you, which if you can't perform, they want you out at that point. Yeah, I also have always, always been a big like proponent of, of all of those types of agencies. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's medical, 
finance, um, MPF, like admin support, any of those things that we who are generating stuff like on the flight line, uh, you know, stuff that supports the mission or whatever like that, like actually out there doing it to get the planes to fly because that's overall what we do. But all these other agencies stuck in the same exact hours as us. And it's like, well, guys, some of us can't fucking get out of here to go do those appointments during those hours. Only the higher ranking people who get to do whatever the fuck they want get to do that. But like, then you get pissed off at us. It was like, hey, you haven't gone, you know, and done your this or you haven't gone that. I was like, well, sir, I can't fucking go. Like, you guys are open exactly when I'm at work and no other time. Like, I always thought that. You know, like we always make fun of finance open from nine to 10, one day a week for your convenience kind of bullshit, right? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I've always been a big proponent of like of those types of agencies, you know, hospitals kind of a little bit different. Like Lake Heath is like a full on hospital. So they're like they're 24 seven, right? Yeah. But when you have clinic, we have smaller clinics, like if they opened later, like say they opened from nine and they were open till like six or something like that after those hours and then whatever like that, or they had like some of the kind of you know, the defect has like the midnight chow. Well, they yeah. have like a midnight, like for the, for the, off, for the off shifters, they have like the midnight type of stuff like that come in. Right. So I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but stuff like that to help actually cater to the people who cannot fucking do that. But they, I mean, they don't, all they do is like, Oh no, we're just, we're going to stick to us. And if you can't get in, then that's not our fault. Like, no, it kind of fucking is like, I don't understand it. Yeah, because it makes it harder. I know I had at one point I had a supervisor who, unless you had a scheduled appointment, which he would get nosy, he'd be like, what is it for? And at that time, I was going to counseling, too. And it's like, you don't, it's none of your business. But it was a fight. It was always an argument of, I need to go get care. I need to go this. I have a community appointment. But it was a fight even to get to leave, which it shouldn't be because the health of your airman, soldier, whoever it is, is the people that are going to make it happen but yet they never wanted to let me go or anybody else go for that matter and it, it really sucked because they made you feel like you weren't performing well enough even though you were going to your medical appointments and still getting your job done but it wasn't to their standard if that makes sense yeah i think what a lot of leaders in the military tend to lose sight of is the fact that the mission's still going to go on even if you let one person go take care of their appointment, right? Like, yeah, it's, it might suck in the short term, but you've got to take care of people because you're exactly right. If you don't take care of them, how are you going to get anything done, you know? And at the end of the day, this is going to sound really, like, bad, but at the end of the day, we're going to get replaced, right? And we've got to take care of ourselves, you know? Just like you yeah. said, we have to advocate for ourselves because if we don't, then we're the ones who get out and we're the ones who are all fucked up. And then we're trying to get the care after the fact. And then we can't because the VA is like, oh, well, you didn't get this taken care of when you were in the military. Well, yeah, no shit. I couldn't, you know, because I felt like I couldn't because I was trying to be the best airman or best service member. And now here I am fucking <clears throat> struggling to just try to get somebody to see me for something that could just be simple, you know. And the worst part about all that is like, you know, well, you didn't there's no record of area in military. I was like, OK, there's no record of area in my military. uh medical stuff because I couldn't get to the fucking clinic. I couldn't get to the, I couldn't take off enough time to go through all this shit. And then now you're fighting with the VA to prove that you actually had this issue. And then I said, well, sorry, it's not in your records. We can't reach you for it. And it just ends up being, it's like, I, I put my head, I was like, this is just a giant fucking conspiracy theory to fuck us all over in the end. You know, like, it's just ridiculous. 
I know that when I was in the process of getting out, I had a supervisor who I really looked up to because he was the first supervisor I had that actually cared if I went to the doctor, if I got everything I needed. Um, it wasn't just that, it was childcare too, just every aspect. He was honestly the supervisor that I would have modeled myself after. And um, he said, it doesn't matter if you're going to drop drop dead today or not, you, you are replaceable. But it's what you do for yourself that's going to matter in the long run. And I was like, and of course this was, I think I was in for three years at this point. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, but what? That's not a thing, whatever, you know, and I kind of brushed by it. And now it's like, holy crap, that made so much sense. Like, why, why didn't I, why didn't it click? But it's just because when you're, when you're younger in the military, not even like age wise, but just the length of time that you've been in, it takes time for you to grow and mature within that. And that's, that's the hard part. So you can come in when you're 30 years old, but it doesn't mean that you understand the military. The military is its own thing. You're going to start as a baby, you know, your airmen, I think private, all that stuff. You're going to have that, but it's a growing process and an adaption process. I think the only way you kind of come in to the military at that age and understand what you're doing is if you're a, a middle school teacher or is if you're Jess because she's been in every branch I know <laughs> just two just two well, well geez like, hit I mean, the other two I mean but seriously though like when you come in like you're basically monitoring a bunch of kids make sure they learn their stuff. You got to teach them, make sure they, you know, they're well prepared to go on in life and grow up and be, you know, proper adults. And, uh, you got to discipline them if they don't fucking follow the rules. And then like, I mean, you're just basically a fucking high school teacher. Like it's, it it is just, and it's like, I still can't believe to this day for all the time I was a fucking supervisor to NCOIC to section chief. I'm sitting there like, how did these kids come in? And I don't understand basic, do what you're told and don't do stupid shit. Like, because they're kids. Just... They're sweeping the story of my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I but, think Rusty and I got did... lucky. Oh, God. Um, yeah, right. you guys did, because it only gets worse the higher up you go. I promise you oh. that. <laughs> yeah. But even then, when it comes down to it, one thing that I still cannot stand, and it doesn't matter what it is, uh, whether it be like you just your basic medical, your basic mental health, or whatever like that. They say, hey, if there's something wrong, don't be afraid, go get help, go, you know, you gotta get seen. We can't have, you, they always preach that whole, you know, people before, you know, a mission, mission people yeah. before aircraft, you know, people are the most important, not tools. And then when it comes down to us trying to take care of ourselves, you know, we're, we're the, we're the biggest tool, we're the biggest weapon in the military, us, right? We got to go take care of ourselves. And then they don't let us and then we get in trouble, right? And then yet if we oh if we fucking misplace a tool, you might as well just pack up your shit and go home because you're kicked out. Yep. Gosh. Yeah, that it that's the part that really it sucks because I'm watching soldiers go through that now because I were I'm a Department of the Army civilian. So watching young soldiers go through that same process. When they're, when again, they preach, oh, people before mission, but yet they're still not upholding it. It's still an issue. They're not reaching out to find out exactly what they need. It, they're just 
the leaders that are, again, this is a personal opinion, but I feel the leaders that are in charge currently are so far removed from the situation that they don't understand what the generation that is coming in or is currently in needs. So which doesn't help with anybody's anything. We have a mental health issue that the people that are currently in that have additional stressors need to be able to deal with, but there's still so much stigma and so much punishment that goes on when they actually reach out to get that help that it just makes them drown even more. Yeah, we could put that on a loop and, and blast it in fucking all the leadership's uh, face and they'll still look at you like, I don't know, understand what you're saying. We're, everything's fine. But um, so going back here, I know you said it took about over just about over a year, right? Yeah. So in that point, can you kind of hit certain steps that you felt were uh, handled pretty decently, like, hey, when I did this part of the process, it went pretty smooth, and then maybe any part where it's like, I don't understand why it took this so long, took so long, I don't understand why I had to go through all these fucking heads, I don't understand why I had to do this over and over and over again, because it, it was a simple, hey, here's what it is, here's what you do, and then be gone with it, like, what, what was some of those just, like, specific points that just stood out to you the most? Um... I will say that I think I'm very fortunate that the Pueblo that I was assigned really did make my job a lot easier because it was just providing them any outside documentation. That was probably the hardest part of actually, because again, I was in Virginia when I got out. So all my, most of my medical stuff was all from Arizona, which had been community care based, which again, their clinic's too small. They have small things here and there, but my overall care was pretty much out in community care. So it was me having to get a hold of the hospital when I had went to the hospital a million and a half times, or trying to get a hold of a physical therapy clinic when I'm, what, two hours in advance from that, just trying to get back and reach back for that while trying to get my job done, while trying to hold everything together. That was a really challenging part that I wish I would have known in advance of if I go see a community care, having my records pulled from them before I leave. And I think that's a big thing that most of us don't ever think about is if you do go out to a community care entity, you need to make sure that when before you PCS, you get all of your records that you have at those because the military is not going to pull them. They don't care about them. If you were seen out there, that is it. That's where it stays. It stays out in that community none of the stuff that they report back made it into my medical records. I have literally my entire file, which is like, I think almost a thousand pages because I kept going back to medical constantly, um, again, for my records, but they didn't have all the, the community care stuff. So that was, that was my legwork that I had to do after the fact, which when you're removed from that situation, I know they have to keep your records for a certain amount of time, but that made it all much harder because they're like, oh, well, we can, can we fax them to you? Well, crap. Now I have to figure out a place that they can get it faxed to. So that way I can actually have this. But currently I'm at work. It's what noon here, but it's two hours ahead there or behind there. So it's just trying to get that done made it really complicated for the IDAS process. It's good that you bring that up, Courtney, because like when I had my surgery last year, um, I had an issue when I was under anesthesia where my heart rate had dropped really low, right? And so the doctors at the hospital wanted me to follow up with cardiology and do all this kind of stuff. Well, 
my PCM, like I never talked to my PCM after I had my surgery. Like the Air Force had no idea that I even had that surgery minus the referral and the authorization that they gave me. And I remember requesting my records last year and they were like, hey, we just need the form to be able to send it over to the med group and get everything input for you. And I was like, cool. So I assumed that the hospital had sent everything. And then come to find out probably a couple months ago, the med group calls me and they're like, hey, do you have your surgery records? And I was like, yeah, I do. I said, I had my surgery last year. Why are you asking about this? And they're like, oh, well, you have this follow-up for cardiology. And uh, we just wanted to see what was going on with that. And I was like, you guys took me off my profile six months ago and I've already taken a PT test. So what's the problem here? And they were like, well, you know, you were showing that you had bradycardia. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a runner. And I maybe I had a little weird, you know, echocardiogram, I said, but I tried to get referred to go and do an open MRI for um, a cardiac MRI. I had a tech call me and I asked them to put my referral back in and they never did. So I didn't get the MRI done. And she was like, oh, well, we just, uh, we just need to review your surgery records. Can you bring them in? I was like, yeah, I have them with me. I'll bring them in. So I took them in the very next day, got them scanned. And I checked like a week later and the records still weren't in the system. So I was like, that's great. That's absolutely great. And nobody ever called me back to follow up about it either. Yeah, they're not so going I totally to. That. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to. Like, they just, they don't care. They really don't. No. Um, so I know you were talking about, um, you know, obviously you wish you had known before you'd gone through the, the IDES process, like, hey, this is how it was going to work and stuff. Um, what other kind of key points going through that process would you be able to kind of pass on to folks who may be, you know, looking at going down that road and kind of how to handle some of the stressors that come with it? Um, like I said, I went to counseling. That was a really big thing. Again, step in that door. It's going to be hard, but I don't remember having to have a referral to go to counseling. But at the same time, I wish I would have gone out to somebody in the community for counseling. So I did uh, military one source uh, at one point in my career, and that showed up on my record. It's not supposed to. It, it showed How up on my record. Happen? That is, wow. Holy shit, really? Yes, it is on my record. Military One Source is not supposed to show up on your record. Um, I went in 2011. I was going through a divorce at the time. And sure enough, it's in there. All of it. My whole, I think I went for four or five sessions. All, all sessions. Now, again, because it was in was, the military was it in detail or just to show that it, you went? Like, was it in detail, like notes and shit? It was detailed, yes. Yo, that's insane. Yeah. That's... There, I mean, there's a couple other things that shouldn't have been in my record that were in there as well that they said were confidential and they were not confidential. So there, there's some things that they have said that, that it wouldn't show up and it did. And I was very upset because I was like, this was supposed to be something that was confidential that wasn't reported. And yet it was reported. Now, I don't know if maybe the times have changed, which I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that they have, because that was really discouraging. Had I known that when I went that, what, eight years later, that it'd still be in my record, like I probably wouldn't have went, but it's still, it, it was one of those, like, I feel betrayed. The military betrayed me. They said this stuff wasn't supposed yeah. to be seen. And I wonder, I'm wondering though, if it was because I saw somebody from military, military one source that was in the same mental health clinic. And I don't know if that's why, because if you meet them like somewhere, a restaurant or something that's off the installation. So I don't know if maybe that was the difference. Cause I know 
you know, they have the ability to meet some people somewhere. But yeah, so my mine did show up on my record. That's crazy. Were you ever able to trace back like how that happened or anything like that um, besides, um, you know, what you just discussed? So I have a friend who reviews VA records and um, to find out like if they marked everything that they were supposed to. So that way, if I needed to add anything to my claim and I, you know, I brought him my full stack of papers. I had everything printed out. I brought it to him because he didn't have access to a computer at the time. And so I was like, okay, whatever. I was like, that's fine. So I brought everything over. He's going through my stuff and he goes, did you know that this is in there? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, you're, you're counseling in 2011. Did you know that's in there? And I was like, it was military one source. I wasn't supposed to be in there. And he goes, well, it's in there along with a couple other things that shouldn't have been in there. And I was like, excuse me? And he's like, it helps your case because I, I do have, you know, again, I'm going for, men I have mental health stuff. It's claimed on my VA. But it was just one of those like really big surprising things that's like that they told me that that would not be recorded. That was something that was completely off the record and I could deal with it in my own time and not have to worry about it. And yet it still showed up on my military records. Yeah, because I know like, you know, in my position and, you know, holding the shirt phone and things like that, like that's one of the things that we preach to people is use military one source, you know, use, um, you know, for AFSOC, we have the POTIFs, right? Preservation of the force and family. And I tell folks like, go there. If, if you don't want anything that's documented, go there or go to a chaplain, right? Because it's supposed yeah. to be confidential as well. And so the fact that somebody, like you said, betrayed you like that and put that in your record when all you were looking for was just to talk to somebody just blows my mind because now that worries me as a leader that I'm telling my people to go see these folks and then that resource could turn around and be like, no, we're just going to throw it in somebody's medical record. Like you might as well just go to mental health at that point. Yeah. Like, what are you even doing? You know? Well, I mean, um, it's, I still wouldn't discourage people from doing it because mental health is mental health. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. documented or not. They, it's something so important for people to get taken care of. It doesn't matter. But again, it's that whole thought of, I don't know where to go. I need some help. And this hopefully won't affect my career. And then I, I never had yeah. any effects from it, so it was nothing for me. But there are more serious issues than what I've got going on that it, I, I would hope it wouldn't interfere with their careers. And I haven't seen anybody that's had issues with their records when they've gone to mental health. Because I had one troop who was going, the only time he screwed himself over was when he was he thought it'd be good to be a smart ass for his survey. You know how when you PCS overseas? And uh, you have that survey yeah. that you're supposed to do. He thought, he mm -hmm. said, oh, this doesn't matter. No, that mattered. He was not able to go to Turkey. He thought it'd be funny yeah. to joke about that. You cannot mess around with that. Nope, you sure can't. You sure can't. Yeah, any any it's little like, thing that they can do, they will do it. Yep. It's like that It's like that fun little thing, little Mimi seal, like if I, when I'm honest on my, uh, PHQ and then all of a sudden you're getting escorted out by OSI and security yeah. forces and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. He, uh, he found out the hard way and I was like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't think that actually mattered. So that, that one matters. That one matters. Don't, don't put crazy crap on that, but mental health wise, please, if you feel you need to talk to somebody, it doesn't matter if it's going to be recorded or not. It just matters the fact that you're getting help. Yeah. And that's why we always, uh, pretty much every episode we always say hey guys if you haven't gone and listened to episode three mental health matters i mean it's great information we talk about all the different um 
programs and agencies that you could use. I know it's kind of mostly focused on Air Force with us. We kind of we have some uh, most of the stuff can be used across all branches, like military one source, of course, for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's chaplains in all the branches, same, and it's all the same thing. It's 100 percent confidential, no matter what you do. But um, we never we never sit there and tell you, hey, do not go to mental health. Yep. We need you to know all the agencies and kind of what you're going through and what you're wanting out of it to make a decision of which agency is best for you. Running straight to mental health may not be your best option, but it's not something we're going to sit here and tell you, do not go to mental health. You just have to understand your options and, and what what your goal is in, in the whole situation. And I think another thing, um, for shirts, they're usually, I believe they flow throughout all the branches. There's always some sort of first sergeant, um, but they're always really good too. I know any of the ones that I've come in contact with, they've all been very personable. Uh, I know obviously that can vary because it, it does take a strong person though to be a first sergeant, um, but they're really good at helping to point out areas too. Even if you're not overly comfortable, even if they're your, not your first sergeant, it doesn't matter. You can still talk to them. They can still provide help and navigate you in a certain area that you're supposed to go to. So that way you're not having that issue and dealing with it alone. Um, usually if you're going through a big crisis anyways, most of the time having a first sergeant escort can get you in somewhere a little bit quicker. So if you're having, you know, thoughts of unaliving yourself, going to your first sergeant and having help from them, they can get you into mental health a lot quicker than sometimes walking in there. Because I know there were a couple people that had that issue when I was in Virginia. Yeah, for sure. Um, how much did your first sergeant play into your IDES process when you were going through it? He wasn't even there. He was gone. They had well, him TDY. <laughs> he was TDY off and on. So um, I was part of the SCOS. So he was between Langley and he'd go up to um, Scott Air Force Base as well because there's the other SCOS over there. So he was, I believe, back and forth. I don't know what was going on with him, but I didn't see him as much. Um, So I didn't get mine. But I know from my seven years in Arizona, I was friends with all the first sergeants there. Uh, Well, any of the ones that I had within my squadron, and they were all great. So that's that's why I advocate for the first sergeants, because I liked mine there. Now, had I been had I been in contact with mine more? Uh, the two times that I did meet him when I got an award, that was great. He was really friendly. He hung around. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, he wasn't there. So I didn't get that opportunity with him. I also think, you know, I mean, every branch has a first sergeant. Yes. Uh, I don't know what they're called with the Navy or whatnot. But I think uh, each each branch so is has a different uh, role for the first sergeant. You know what I mean? Um, because with us, obviously, the Air Force, it's meant to be that connection, that connection to be able to make sure you have all the information you need, right? Mm-hmm. The first sergeant is kind of supposed to be the, I guess, the SME for like being being able to function in the Air Force, right? All the agencies, all the help that you need, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you transition over to um, Army, just correct me if I'm wrong. They're the ones that really kind of hold standards, like to us T. Yeah, they're more of an advisor um, to the command team, you know, kind of working with that SEL. Um, but I mean, they're, and I could be wrong on this, um, 
but they're also there to help, you know, the troops. Um, mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. a different capacity than how we utilize them in the Air Force. I mean, they, yeah, so cause... from the one currently in my unit, there he he does the same thing. He's actually, because he's relatively new, um, he's a stand-in from a reserve. He's going around to each work section right now and seeing what the complaints are. So that way he can start handling them from the bottom up. So I don't know if that's a unique thing because, again, we are 99% civilian. So it's it's a little bit different. But from what he said, this is what they're supposed to do. Anytime they touch ground, they're supposed to see if there's any complaints or any issues that um, he's supposed to handle. But you are right about being the advisor. He is the one that advises the commander, especially because ours right now, she's still new. So, but yeah, he's he's been doing that. So I don't know if that's just a our unit thing or if it's a transitory to any of, of the other units. Well, it's always fun seeing videos of like, Marine and Army First Sergeants just going into their fucking troops at an office, you know? Because you don't see that really with the Air Force First Sergeant. 99% of the time, that's like a that's like a chief thing or maybe even a commander, depending on what type of commander you have. But mm-hmm. I've never seen, you know, people in a First Sergeant office just getting, like, hammered through the fucking wall because of, you know, doing dumb shit, right? It's more that, like, now you know you fucked up. You know you were stupid. You know you weren't supposed to do that. But then you see those um, fucking Marines and soldiers sitting there and the shirt is just going at a hardcore and you're just like, oh, to be looking at that would be so much fun. I mean, I don't think I've been in any situation where I've had to have that happen. I've heard that uh, if you end up in jail, that can happen in a public situation. But I haven't known anybody that's gotten put in jail and the first sergeants had to respond to it, which I guess is a good thing but i know it's happened i had to pick up someone from jail when i was filling in for shirt she was a she got a dui you know it was fun i think even the worst part is like i knew her she was in my flight she was she was a supply chick and the first and one of the first things when i heard her name i was like no come on her like she was she was good stuff good airman you know no all that stuff and then of course and it was in england so like there was no way around it you know and and them down there like they're you there's no getting it transferred to the air force you still get fucked in the in the community uh when it when it comes to duis in england like there's there's no transferring it you still get hammered in the community so i went to go pick her up you know i walk in um england cop he was like who are you here for give a name is like all right and she comes and you know she comes out and she's just like you could tell she's been crying all night you know and get in the car and she's just kind of sitting there and i i sat there for a second i was like look there's no way to sugarcoat this you fucked up right you know you know what you did was wrong you knew what you were doing in the moment was going to be wrong okay i was like but i'm here if you need anything i'm here to help you have questions like i, I just I can't stop you from getting in trouble, obviously, but I can help you through the process. Okay. Like just, you got to rely on me here. And the first thing she says, she was like, do you think I'm going to get demoted? And I was like, I can't answer that. I don't know what the, what the commander is going to do. You know, like I can tell you, yeah, people get demoted for DUIs, but I can't tell you that you're going to get demoted for your DUI. I don't know it, this, that you have to go through the process. Okay. But you know, it, she, I just wanted so much to be like, look, this is probably what's going to happen. I can't do that. 
every situation is unique. Every punishment is unique. You know, like I was, I, this is a whole nother rant, but like, I hate people who are like this. Why did they get different punishments? Like, because you don't understand what goes into weighing to that punishment to that person. It's a lot, but oh, man, it, it is fucking crazy sometimes though. Yeah. Like yeah, there, but- there's always different weights that go into what happens. And a lot of people don't understand that. It, it's the same again with, with your, um, medical stuff. Like there's different stuff for each person. Everybody's not going to have the same outcome. Um, I know that there was a guy when I first got to Virginia that was going through the IDES and he was just trying to make sure he had his TSP stuff going and that he could provide for his family. So he was already taking interviews and stuff before he even got out, which you can do. You just can't get employed by a government agency. I think it's what, 180 days or something like that. Um, as far as like being a department of the, like a civilian working with the military or whatever, I think it's 180 days. But yeah, so taking your classes, the, um, oh my gosh, what's it called when you first get out? I can't remember what it's called. It's been so long. Tap? Yes, tap. So there's a lot of branches, actually. My husband was, he almost didn't get to take taps. He had to ask them before deployment to take taps because he actually got out mid-deployment. They had to send him back from... Africa yeah, that's region like, all the way over here. That's congressionally mandated. You can't sit there and say, hey, oh. can I go to TAP? No. <laughs> well, they try. Their different branches can outskirt because if the deployment becomes the need, you can only have, you have to have it, I think, what, within a year of being discharged? And if you're sitting there saying, no, I'm going to re-enlist. Should be two years. Oh, I don't know if they changed it. I thought it was a, uh, back in 2019, I want to I say. I yeah, it maybe. It, maybe all yeah. I know is that like I was gonna get out in 2020, and then I extended for a year, and I took tap in that time frame, and then by the time I got out in 2022, um, I didn't have to retake it. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when you take it now, it's good for four years. So you oh. so like say if yeah. So if you take it like say I don't know, randomly at the beginning of your enlistment because you already know you're gonna just do your four years and get out, you can take it and it'll stay good. Um, but they like you, they prefer that you take it between 15 and 18 months for the first time. And then if you want to take it again, usually like six to eight months before you're actually going to get out, um, depending on your terminal leave and stuff like that. At least that's what they told us when I went through in January. Yeah. And that's not to say anybody who wants to take tap, like, yeah, I took it two years before I got out. I was well on my right to take it again within that last year. Like you can still do it again. You know, I just didn't want to because... I, I didn't want to like it's, it's as simple as that. like I don't want to fucking do it I've already I did it three times in my career I'm like I, I don't want to do it a fourth time uh, a lot of times it, you can you look at it as like hey I can get out of work for a week I mean yeah you can but like I you, you can literally I don't think there's any time unless like you, you you're doing it for a specific reason and it's pretty obvious I don't think they can really tell you no or like hey I would like to take tap because it's kind of where I'm at. And if you're winning at that time frame, even though you may not know if you're getting out or staying in, they really can't tell you no. But you could take it as many times as you want, technically. Yeah, and I think whoever runs it and what state you're in, because I've heard state varying uh, can determine a lot. Like, So up here in Washington State, the TAPS program isn't, for Army, it's not very beneficial because they're not gearing it towards the people that are using it which are usually, you know, young E4s that are getting out. Uh, maybe people that have gotten in trouble below that. 
uh, a lot of the material has been geared towards like E8s and 9s, people that are retiring, that it can help out them a lot better, but it's not helping out the younger soldiers. Um, Air Force side, I have no idea here yet about what's up they with have that. Two, they have two types of TAP, for at least for the Air Force. I don't know if it's all the way around. Like you have TAP for airmen to tech to E6, then you have a like leadership TAP for senior and CEO up until retirement and stuff like that. Um, that, um, I think so. Cause, um, I mean, you, you would know Jess, but like, I just always know like, Hey, um, even if you're retiring at E6, you still only go to basic tap because they have leadership for senior and CEOs and up like that. Yeah. They give you the option. Um, like they'll let you just take the regular tap. Um, or if you are retiring, say if you're like an E6 or something, um, if they have slots available, they'll throw you into that, like scene, they call it senior tap. They'll put you in that one. Cause they know that you're retiring because when I, I went through senior tap in January, even though I wouldn't have been retiring, but they discussed a lot of the stuff that would help the folks with retirement. Like, Hey, you've been doing this for 20 years. Like now you've got to, you know, switch your mindset and things like that. Whereas like, if you go through the tap for E1 through E6 or whatever, um, they kind of gear it more towards, Hey, you know, do you want to use your GI bill? Like, how do you want to go about like education? And they still have like the, the different tracks, like your vocational track, your education track, and then, um, your entrepreneur track. So they let you take those separately. But, um, what I did notice during tap, since we're talking about the VA is they really, really went in depth on the VA stuff this time around. Cause the first time I took tap in 2014, like we just got like the cliff notes version and this one was an entire day. Like they went yeah. through the entire book. It was, it was really good actually. It, it was the same thing my first time as well. Like four to the five days was fucking department of labor. And I just wanted to fucking shoot my brains out. Um, kidding for everybody, but the, the fucking VA, which ever, the only thing that anybody cared about in that entire fucking tab class, the VA, because we're all like, Hey, how do we do our disability? We want to get our fucking money was like 30 minutes. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. That's how it was when I went through in 2014. It was rough. <laughs> yeah. I was lucky. So when they did the VA one, I didn't have to worry about that because the IDES process does it for you. So mine was significantly easy because I didn't have to do the paperwork. I didn't have to fill out. I just basically showed up. They had most of my information, did my CMT exam, and then I was done. That was it. So that's that's one good thing, I guess, that comes out of the IDES process is your VA is already done for you. Yeah, which, I mean, that that would make sense. I mean, why do, why do it twice? But um, I really do appreciate all this information because it is good. But if you were to tell people now, you know, who are currently going through it or might start the process soon. Um, what kind of things do you think would be beneficial for them to know, the questions for them to ask or things like, what kind of words can you give them? Like, hey, make sure you guys ask these questions, make sure you guys do this and don't let somebody try to convince you to do this, like stuff like that. What would be beneficial for people to know from your experience? Um, again, as I mentioned before, making sure to get your medical records, because those are going to be very pertinent to how they're going to, how likely you are to win your case. Um, if it's over 30%, that is medical retirement. If it's under 30%, I was at 20, because again, they're increments of 10. Um, so I didn't get medical retirement. Um, so it's one of those, know that information, but also trust your body. 
because I, at the at that time I'd been fighting for so long that when it finally came it was hard to accept it but then it was like you know what this is probably what's better for me how can I continue trying to run if my body's not going to do it how can I do these sit-ups and try to push that when my body can't do it and that's a very big important thing is not trying to harm yourself further because yes you're in a career you're getting paid but at the same time there's still life after the military just because you're not in doesn't mean that you're not a whole person doesn't mean that you're not worthy of anything it's just turning over a newer a new chapter sooner than what you thought so getting your medical records making sure you have your paperwork straight i literally still have my binder of all my stuff so anytime they gave me a piece of paper that paper went into the binder so that way I didn't lose it. That That's going to probably be a really good source for you to keep your information of just putting the information in a binder and keeping it. If they give you a piece of paper, even if it's just a handout, put it in there, save it, because you don't know right after you're out if you'll need that. But it's going to be stressful and there's no negating that. Yeah, that's solid advice. Um, that's something you know we, we try to tell everybody is, hey, just get everything documented. Um, I like that. You said you put everything into a folder because I know when I separated the first time um, I went and I still have all my hard copy medical records from like that seven and a half years. Right. And it sits in my little uh, nightstand next to my bed. And like every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, shit, where's that? You know, you wake up and you're like, where's my high school diploma? I'm like, oh, shit, where are my medical records? You know, like I wake <laughs> up looking for them and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're sitting right here. Right. But every once in a while, I'll flip back through it because like you know, just random shit that's happened to me in my career. Like when I kept my thumb open on my first deployment, I'm like, did I ever get that documented? And I flipped through my medical records and sure as shit, I was smart enough to document it when I did my, my DHA when I got back. Right. And then all the stuff with the hospitalizations and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really important is to just keep everything together because you don't know when you're going to need it and you know, you're going to need it when you get out. So yeah. yeah, solid advice for sure. Uh, Jess. How many fucking binders do you have? Yeah. From what brand? Okay. So I didn't get shit back from the army. Um, all of my care, uh, based on if you have listened to my episode, guys, I talk all about my little knee injury. Um, all of that stuff was actually community care when I got that taken care of. And that I actually do have to request the records for because the only thing I have a copy of is the MRI results. I don't actually have a copy of uh, the treatment that was done. Um, actually, I don't even know if that hospital or not hospital, that medical facility is even still in practice, but hopefully it is, but it was out in Albuquerque. So, but I do still have all the TRICARE authorizations for it. So <laughs> I should be good there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of paperwork everywhere. So a few binders, Rusty, to answer your question. One per active duty, one per guard, one per branch, one per life actually that's pretty accurate <laughs> yeah makes sense well guys this is, i think it's been really good information for everybody uh courtney i can't thank you enough for sharing that i know it's a the long fucking drawn out annoying stressful process um i'm hoping that it can help somebody either going through it or about to go through it anything any last words of uh encouragement jess um well i want to thank courtney as well because it's so good to see you again. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. I know it's over video, but I'm glad we got to see each other again. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again very soon in the future. Heart you. Um, but yeah, uh, 
to echo what Rusty said, guys, um, just this is awesome advice for anyone who's going through the process. I've known people who have gone through it um, and I've tried to do my research, you know, as a leader to, to try to guide them and help them out. Um, I've got an airman going through IDES right now. And, you know, when it came time for him to pick LDES or IDES, you know, I kind of had to talk him through that decision making. And, you know, thankfully I knew enough about the IDES to be like, hey, man, this is going to be the best option for you. Um, so for the fact that Courtney was able to kind of walk you guys through this stuff, uh, it's awesome because we didn't get to learn this stuff when we were younger um, and we wish we could have. So thank you again, Courtney. I really appreciate you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you for tuning in. Um, if you guys haven't already, go like and subscribe. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, and iHeart now if you haven't seen. So it's really awesome. All you got to do is just go in there, search The Common Warrior. You see our flag and go search up on Instagram, Common Warrior Podcast, which we will have our link tree in the bio to all of those podcast platforms. Uh, Again, as always, as we've already mentioned before in all these past episodes and this one already, go listen to episode three if you haven't already. Mental Health Matters That's probably going to be one of our most important episodes for our entire time we are doing this show. doesn't matter how long. And uh, we hope you enjoy the series we wrapped up as well for Deciding Points. It is not going to be the last time we do some more series. But, guys, thank you so much, and we can't wait to bring you another episode. Take care. Bye, guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to drop us a follow or subscribe to The Common Warrior wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Common Warrior Podcast. Take care and join us again for our next episode.